All right, all right. Well, hey, you guys are stuck with me today. Pastor John's bringing the message. So I hope you brought your Bibles. I hope you brought your Learn On because we're getting ready to dig into the Scriptures this morning. I'm super excited. But before we do that, before we do that, um, New Year's resolutions usually happen this time of year. Usually this time of year, people will make up a resolution. And they'll think of something that they want to accomplish this next year. So I just want to take your mind there for a second. And just quickly, in your notes, all right, in your notes or somewhere, just think to yourself real quick, what's one resolution? One resolution for 2024, okay? You don't have to tell anybody, but just think it, okay? Now, some of us will make 10, 15, and then one may will do zero. But hey, at least we can think about it, right? So one resolution that you would like to make for this year. doesn't really... Regardless of your age, one thing that you'd like to dedicate to 2024, what would you like to do? What would you like to do? All right, you got it? Next. Let's change it up a little bit, because I think context really challenges us here. Let's say you won the Powerball. I think it's at $810 million right now, okay? Again, who's looking, right? So let's just say you won the Powerball today, or I think it's Monday's when the next drawing is. Okay, so let's say you won the Powerball. Now, what would your New Year's resolution be? Does that change it? Okay, think about it. You now just won $810 million. Okay? Let's switch, let's switch it up again. In 2004, Tim McGraw was noted for a song that was called Live Like You Were Dying. In the song, he wrote about a buddy of his was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he was talking to his buddy and was like, well, what did you do when you got that news that this was your last time. And the buddy kind of goes off and says, well, you know, I went kung fu fighting, I rode a bull, I went skydiving, I climbed the Rocky Mountains, had all these things that were on his bucket list that he started living because he knew his time was, was coming to an end. And so the song talks about live like you're dying. Okay, so let's do a third option here. What if 2024 was your last year? Now, I'm not trying to be morbid, but I'm trying to show you that context means a lot. This is your last year, 2024. Now, what is your New Year's resolution? All right, take a second. Think about that. Now, if, you if you're honest with yourself, look at your resolutions. They probably changed a little bit. Your first resolution was probably something that was pretty practical, probably something that you thought you could do within the realm of the context of your life. Then all of a sudden, fortune comes your way, and now that resolution may change. Because now you have the financial means to kind of do anything, all right? But that third one, right, now your time is limited, right? And so what priorities does that challenge you with? What changes based, based on that? So be curious to see how that was different depending on the context, right? Well, today, I want to take a look at what Jesus demonstrated when he was in a similar situation. All right, so if you would join with me, turn your Bibles to John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17, put it up on the slide here, and if you don't have a copy of a bulletin that if you didn't get one of these when you walked in, you can also download our digital sermon notes. You can follow along, there'll be scripture references in there and plus areas to write your notes in, but we're going to take a look at what Jesus did here in John 13, when he was in a situation that we just talked about. Now on the surface, you're like, John 13 is where Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. And you might be thinking, okay, Pastor John, where are you going with this? How is washing the feet of his disciples anything related 
to New Year's resolutions. Well, follow along with me. Let's see if we can close the gap on that. So what I'd love to do is I'd love to pray before we read the scripture, and then let's take a look at what John 13 has to say. So join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we have your living word, that through your word you have revealed yourself, you have revealed Christ Jesus, and that we can get to know more of who you are and how we should live our lives accordingly. And so, Father, as we prepare for this new year, 2024, and as we've been challenged to think of our resolutions, Father, open our eyes to possibly see things that we hadn't seen before, and that through that sight, you might bring us better understanding. And with that sight and with that understanding, it might impact how we view this next year. And so, Father, we offer this time for you to be glorified as we study your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's go into the scripture here. I'm going to have it up on the slide here as well, too, so if you don't have your Bibles with you, you can still follow along. So starting in verse 1, we read, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Amen. Amen. All right. So one of the things I want to do, that's a lot. All right. That's 17 verses right there. There's a lot of stuff right there. So one of the things I want to do for you is I want to pull apart some observations quickly from that text. All right. And so going to our next slide here, there are six observations, well, three general observations that have two points each. Okay. Three main observations that have two points each. As you break apart this section of Scripture, we've got the first observation, and under that observation, it's kind of setting up the context. You have the context of the time, what's happening, right, and who's happening, and then the circumstance that causes the foot washing. So what you have here is context and circumstance, and we're going to go into these in a little more detail here. But the second observation, then, is it moves on from that setting up the stage, and then we see that there's this conflict 
which leads to a conversation. Conflict that leads to a conversation. And at the very end there, we see that there's a challenge followed by an opportunity for compliance. A challenge followed by an opportunity for compliance. So what I want to do is I want to share with you quickly, we want to walk through those observations and those points because we want to understand how we can apply this to our lives today. How does the washing of the disciples' feet, how does that impact our 2024? All right, let's take a look at this. All right, first I want to take us to the context. All right, our next slide here. Jesus knew the context of his life and ministry. All right, Jesus knew the context of his life and ministry. Let's take a look at this in a few ways. The first one I want to talk about is the Feast of Passover. Okay, so we're told here, this is now before the Feast of Passover. Okay, the Feast of Passover was established back in Exodus 12, when the Israelites were in captivity, were enslaved by Egypt, by the Pharaoh. Okay, and God sends a deliverer, Moses, to free his people. All right? And so what God does is he's able to demonstrate his power as the one true God over Pharaoh, who was known to be God of his people, through a, very, a variety of plagues. And we go through all these different plagues, and before the final plague, which is the plague of death, God sets out this instruction. And this instruction is that all of God's people were to take an innocent lamb, they were to slaughter that lamb in a certain way. They were to eat that lamb in a certain way and have a meal. But they were to take the blood from that lamb and wipe it over their doorpost on the outside of their home. And anybody that was inside that home, the angel of death came through and death skipped over, passed over that home. All right, That Passover was meant to symbolize something great in the future. Now, when they leave Egypt, okay, so the death plague comes, the Israelites leave, they go out into the desert, and they're given the law of God. God gives Moses and the Israelites this as a lasting feast, all right, the feast of Passover. It was a new year, a new calendar, because they were getting a new identity. God was doing something different. He was calling an entire nation to himself, his chosen people, a chosen nation, a priesthood. And so they got a new calendar, and they were going to start their new calendar with a new feast. This is Passover. And so from every year after that, they celebrated this Passover, reminding them of what God did, removing them from Egypt, passing over the death that was deserved with the slaughter of an innocent lamb. So that sets the stage of the feast. But there's something else also here, context-wise. Take a look at this. Jesus was full of knowledge. He knew, okay? Jesus is in full awareness of what is happening, right? Okay, so in verse 1, it says that Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and to the Father. Jesus was fully aware. His time had come. Many times in the gospel, we hear that Jesus was in danger, and he said, my time had not come yet. My time had not come yet. My time had not come yet. He knew exactly what he was doing and when he was going to do it. And tonight, it's happening. This is his last feast. All right? So he is fully aware that his time is short. In addition to that, he also is fully aware, if you see down there in verse, in verse 2, it says, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, was ready to betray him. Okay? He already knew that he was going to be betrayed by Judas. He knew that, okay? Knew his death was imminent, knew the time had come, 
knew his betrayer was having a dinner with him. And he also knew that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Okay? So that sets the stage. Jesus, fully aware of who he is. He understands the purpose of his life. He understands why he was sent. He understands the time, the time remaining. He understands his audience. He knows exactly who he's breaking bread with. And he knows that he has everything at his disposal. Man, wouldn't that be a great setup for New Year's resolution? All right? He has all power. He has all wisdom. He has all insight. He has everything. And yet he does something with his time that completely blows us away. He was resolute in his resolution. He knew his purpose was to be that lamb. We'll get into that a little bit more here. So Jesus, the second part of that. All right, now one more thing here on that. One more thing here on that. Two times in this section right here, you'll see, I've got to underline. Verse 1 and verse 3. Jesus knew that the hour had come. Jesus knowing. If you look through the scripture, these words, knowing and understand, come up seven times. Okay, just a hint for the Bible scholars in here. Anytime something's repeated, God's usually trying to get your attention about it. Okay, so seven times in these 17 passages, we're going to see this little thing about known, understanding, know, understand, know, understand. It's almost as if God wants us to really pay attention. Because I think there's a blessing at the end of this. All right? So let's take a look at the next part. Observation number two, second point. Not only did Jesus know the context of his life and his ministry, he saw circumstances as service opportunities. He saw, serv- he saw circumstances as service opportunities. All right, it says here in verse 4 that he rose up from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because in biblical times, people wore sandals. It was common that you would have dirty feet. It was actually cultural that if you were a host, you showed honor to your guest, and you were a host of honor if you provided a slave or a servant to wash people's feet. It was just common. Like sometimes we'll have a thing where people have a mat by their door where you can put your shoes off before you enter the room, right? They had a custom where it was like you come in and they had someone there to wash your feet. All right? Now, Jesus, they're having supper. They've already gone past that. There's been no foot washing. All right? Jesus had come into Jerusalem. They all held him. Hosanna, Hosanna. He's been doing his Passion Week. How does he have Passover meal? How is he preparing for that? How are they having this last supper and no one's washed anybody's feet? Jesus' death is imminent. He has full knowledge of everything. His betrayer is in the room. And he notices they didn't get their feet washed. Because he saw a circumstance that created an opportunity to serve. And so he got up and he served. And this leads us to our second observation. Jesus' humility and service creates a conflict. It creates a conflict Now, for some of you, you might be like, what's the conflict? He saw a need, he filled the need. 
Isn't that what we should do? Isn't that just kind of like the good thing to do? Yeah. Except for the problem was, he's Lord. He's the teacher. He's the main person of honor. Somebody else should have stepped in. And so you can see what happens here. All right? He comes to Simon Peter. So he's already started washing feet. Obviously, through this passage, Peter's not the first one. He's just the first one to speak up. And if you know Peter from the Scriptures, he's always speaking up. He's always opening his mouth and inserting his foot. Anybody here relate to that? Right? Yeah, especially marriage husbands. Can you relate to that? Right? Okay? Right? I know I can. You come in, you're like, oh, I'm going to save the day. I'm going to do something. I'm going to be the one smart one. No, usually every time I open my mouth, it's usually without context, without wisdom. And I, my loving wife reminds me of why I have a wife. Because I need one. Because I don't understand the fullness of everything happening. All right? And so Peter here, look at what he does. Because of the conflict, right? Because of the conflict, he asks a question. He says here in verse 6, Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? The emphasis is on the you. The emphasis is on this. Not that Peter's objecting to having his feet washed. That was cultural. That was customary. It was the fact that Jesus would be the one washing his feet. He's his Lord and teacher. That creates a conflict. That's not supposed to happen. That's a no-no, okay? We have other people for that. Typically, in a, in, a, in a Jewish household, okay, there'd be a servant. And that servant wouldn't even be Jewish. It would be a Gentile servant, a servant from a conquered war. It, they wouldn't even let the Jewish people do that. It was such a disgusting, menial task, okay, that it was a slave would do that. But to have their lord and master do this completely conflicted with Peter's theology, and look at how Jesus responds to him. He says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. All right? That word understand, those are two different words in the Greek. Two different words. The first one is, is the reason it says you do not understand. That understand is a cognitive knowledge. It is a knowledge based on intellect, experience, and senses. It's kind of like a fullness of knowledge. All right? And what Jesus is saying here is you don't understand because you haven't experienced what's about to happen to you. How can you understand? All right, so let me give you an example. Women, specifically moms, can any man understand childbirth? No, they can read about it. But until you've experienced childbirth, husbands, men, zip it. You don't know pain. Okay, I'm sorry. Your common cold, my common cold, my flu, is not equivalent to childbirth. Sorry to bust your bubble, right? Sorry to bust your bubble. I know you may be feeling lousy, but it's not the same. You have to experience it. You've seen those YouTube silly skits where they'll have some guys hook up some of those electrode things. They stimulate that, that contraction. I think they last like 10 seconds, and they're crying for mama, and they're asking for help, right? Okay, that's kind of what's happening here. So what he's saying here is you don't understand because you haven't experienced this. You have no experience to place this understanding. So it's, it's, it's aloof. But then he says, but you will understand. Now that understands a different word. It means to grasp intellectually. You don't understand because you haven't experienced it. But in a little bit, you will have intellectual knowledge. You will have grasped the idea of what I'm doing. Okay? So it's interesting that he hasn't quite yet said you will have experienced it and then have that different type of knowledge. He just says, you'll experience it, and you'll have an intellectual knowledge. You'll understand what I'm doing. We'll get, to that. we'll get back to that here later. 
So what's happening here is Jesus is setting up the context more that there is a two-dimensional meaning to what he's doing. This isn't just a surface thing. And what does that conflict lead to? That conflict leads to conversation. The conflict leads to conversation. It led to a gospel conversation. Okay? Peter could not grasp what was happening to him. It messed with his theology, and so he started talking. And look at here. Look who's initiating the conversation. Is their teacher initiating the conversation? Isn't he the one that's instructing them about all things of life and ministry? Who's, who's starting the conversation? Jesus is servant. Peter has to talk. So Peter asked, Jesus replies. Peter asked, Jesus replies. Peter asked, Jesus replies. Jesus isn't, the lesson is being taught non-verbally, although there's truth being mentioned in response. Very interesting. This creates the challenge. After Jesus is done, verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? Okay, again, he challenges their understanding. Now Jesus is going to start talking. He wanted them to experience something first before the lesson came in because part of the lesson was the experience. Some of what God wants to show us, wants to teach us, you have to experience it to fully start grasping intellectually what is happening. And so Jesus says, do you understand? Now again, now what he's asking for, this is simply, do you grasp intellectually what I've just done for you? Okay? What I've just done for you. And now he shares what he's just done for him. He calls to compliance. Jesus challenges their understanding and calls for compliance by sharing his identity. This is not sharing for the first time. He's going back and reminding them who he is because he has a very important lesson to share with them. It says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. All right? I want to talk. stop right there. Next slide, please. He switches his title. Did you catch that? This is deliberate. This is intentional. You call me teacher and Lord, for that I am. Now, if I, your Lord and teacher, he's emphasizing his lordship. He's emphasizing, I'm the master. I'm God. I'm the son of God. I'm the Messiah. Based on this, I'm not just the teacher who teaches lessons for you to, hmm, 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 hmm. A lot of times that's what we do. We come to church to learn because we have an amazing teacher. Pastor Jason's a brilliant preacher and teacher. But sometimes we just come to learn, take our notes, fill in our study notes, go talk about it as a small group. And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, hold on. Come to learn, but then do what you've learned. Because I'm Lord. I'm Lord. So he switches his titles here. And he says, I have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. All right, so the example is to wash each other's feet. All right, and he's saying, now granted, notice how no one had washed anybody's feet prior to dinner. 
Somebody amongst the disciples should have recognized the feet washing didn't happen, and somebody should have stepped up and said, I'll take care of it. What was the problem? They were too busy arguing on who the pecking order was going to be. When the kingdom is ushered in, who's going to sit at your right and who's going to sit at your left? They were too busy about what position they were going to have to worry about an opportunity to serve. And so he just showed them an amazing lesson we're going to get into in just a moment. But I would be remiss if I didn't bring in. And there's one more no here. Look what it says here. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now Jesus ties the no back to the original no of Jesus knew all things. Jesus knew his hour time. That's a different no. If you do this, so experiencing it wasn't enough. Experiencing the foot washing from their master was enough to help them grasp intellectually. But until you do it, you don't know it fully. It's kind of like forgiveness. Okay, We can read about forgiveness in the Bible. We can read that we're supposed to forgive one another as the Lord Jesus has forgiven us. We can receive forgiveness from Jesus. And then we should what? To others forgive. So when we receive the forgiveness of Christ, we now have experienced his grace. And we now have some type of a grasp of the power of forgiveness. But we don't have full knowledge of it until we follow his example and we start forgiving others. And we get to experience the life-giving power of forgiveness when we get to give that to somebody else. And then when you've received that forgiveness and you've given that forgiveness, now you know. Now you know forgiveness. And that's what Jesus is saying here. This thing about foot washing, you had to receive it. And then I'm asking you to give it. And then you'll have more than just intellectual knowledge. Then you'll know what I'm trying to teach. So let's go back here real quick and recap. We just went over the observations here. Okay, the first part was context and circumstance, sitting up the situation, right? Creates a circumstance, and Jesus steps into that. He sees it as a surface opportunity. That creates a conflict. It messes with their, their theology, okay? It's messing with them. Unmerited grace messes with people. It challenges them. That's not the way it's supposed to be, and it brings out conversation. And then when Jesus is done, then he challenges their understanding, and then he asks them to comply. Okay, so what's the big idea here? What's our big idea? On the surface, the big idea is Jesus is teaching about servant leadership. That's the big idea here on the surface. That's the first dimension. People pursue prominence, power, and position. People pursue prominence, position, and power. That's what they were pursuing. Jesus, we've left everything. We've given up everything to follow you. When your kingdom comes, what are we getting? What position? What power? Okay, what prominence are we going to have in your kingdom? But they missed it. They kept arguing about themselves. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't understand. I seek sacrifice, service, and salvation. I'm here for a whole different reason. Everything I'm about is for something totally different. It's not about power, prestige, prominence, and position. That's not what it's about. It's about humbling yourself and washing one another's feet. 
Now, is the big idea meaning he, Jesus is asking us to literally wash everybody's feet? That's a cultural thing. People still observe it, but it's not an ordinance. It was an idea. It was an example of humble servitude, regardless of position. Actually, what it means in one way is the higher the position, the higher the prominence, and the higher the power, the lower you serve. You use that to serve more people. That's the big idea on the surface. But something else is going on here, something much bigger. Okay, going back to the context, I'm going to go quickly through this, but this is important. All right, this was the last Passover. Okay, a new time and a new covenant. Okay, this was the Mosaic covenant, the law, the covenant of law. Jesus is about ready to establish the, the grace covenant. And there's no longer going to be a feast of Passover. There's going to be communion. Okay, it's going to be a whole different thing. Everything's about ready to change. This is the last Passover. And more than that, Jesus is the Passover lamb. John 1, 29. Behold, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This whole time, from Exodus 12 all the way to this current Passover, it was all pointing to Jesus. One day God would send an innocent lamb, a Messiah, to pay for the sins of the world. And that death would pass you over because of the blood of the lamb. They're having dinner with the blood of the lamb, with the lamb who's going to give us blood. So this is much bigger. It's not just a Passover. It's the last Passover. It's ushering in a whole new era. In addition to that, look at the circumstance here. Jesus sees a bigger circumstance than just dirty feet. Jesus sees dirty souls. It's not just their feet that need cleansing. Our souls need cleansing. For all of sin that falls short of the glory of God. Death is the wage of sin. And only blood can cover sins. Jesus knew there was something bigger that needed to happen. It wasn't just dirty feet. So Jesus washes away our sin and cleanses our souls. Look at the parallel here with John and Philippians. Okay, John 13, 3 through 5, the physical. Okay, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, ties it around his waist, pours water into the basin, Okay, begins to wash the disciples' feet, and then is drying off their feet with his own garment. Look at Philippians 2, 5-9. through 9. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who is in the form of God. He was God. He is God. Okay? But didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay? He wasn't going to hold on to his power and position as God in order to not do something. He's like, yeah, I know I'm God. I know I'm the Son of God. I'm equal in every way, but yet I'm not going to hold on to that. I'm going to let go of that, so I can, and not like dismiss it like I'm no longer son of God. I'm just going to hold. I'm going to let go of that entitlement, so I can go do something. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, he found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. Physical foot washing mirrors what Jesus did: left the throne room of God's glory, came to earth as a human and died for us, washing our souls. Powerful, powerful connection here. Hebrews 10.10. These, these passages are what Jesus is talking about, not having understanding, right? They don't understand. And then there's this thing here, what it says right here. Sorry, go back one slide in the conversation. Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. What? Hold on a second. When did foot washing become an issue of being part of somebody? 
See, Jesus just took the conversation a whole nother level. He's throwing him some deep theology that Peter doesn't even, is like, whoosh, going right over him. But what he's saying is, Hebrews 10.10, and by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Another translation, I think it really captures it better, a little easier to read. Our sins have been washed away and we are made clean because Christ gave his body as a gift to God. He did this once and for all. What he's saying is, if I don't wash your sins, you have no part of me. That's what he's saying theologically. Okay? But then he says something even a little more confusing. He tells Peter, in verse 10, right? Because Peter's saying, well, then wash all of me. And Jesus says, well, hey, you've already been bathed. You don't need to be washed again, except for your feet, um, because you're completely clean. All right? Well, then that takes us to 1 John 1, 6 through 9. Okay, so what's happening here, 1 John is telling the believers, this 1 John is written to the church, it's written to believers. Okay, a lot of times we like to take this passage, and although there's truth here for non-believers, yes, a non-believer, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just and forgive your sins. This letter wasn't written to the non-believers, it was written to the Christians. If you say you have fellowship with Jesus, but you still walk in the darkness, you lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not with us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Real quick, what sin? If you're walking in the light as Jesus in the light, what sin? Okay, walking in the light does not mean you don't ever sin. As a Christian, it doesn't mean we don't ever sin. We are not intentionally walking in the darkness. We are not intentionally choosing sin. But we make mistakes all the time. At least I know I do. And what this is saying, hey, even if you're following Jesus and you're walking in the light after your Lord and Savior, you're still going to make mistakes. And it's okay. You don't have to feel burdened by him. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to let that separate your fellowship from God. Just simply confess him. Let him wash your feet. Because you've already been bathed by the blood of Christ. Just let him wash your feet. And then rejoin the fellowship and just move forward. It's as simple as that. So that's why I told Peter, you don't need a full new bath. You've already been cleaned. You just need your feet washed. A lot of us just need our feet washed. But here's the bigger idea. And then I'll leave you with an application. The bigger, bigger idea that Jesus is trying to get across is kingdom eyes lead to gospel lives. Kingdom eyes lead to gospel lives. They missed it. They missed the context of what was happening around them. They missed the context of who Jesus was. They missed the context of what their calling as disciples were. They missed it. And because they missed it, they were just seeking to serve themselves. Okay? But when you understand, when you have kingdom eyes, when you see life for what it is, when you see Jesus for who he is, when you have gospel eyes... It helps you to understand and live out a gospel life. So let's take a look at how that works out here real quick. Kingdom eyes, gospel lives. It helps us see. See the context and circumstance of your life through the kingdom eyes. All right? Why are you alive today? I mean today, 2023, getting ready to enter 2024. Why weren't you born 200 years ago? Why weren't you born 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago? Why today? There's a context to why God ordained you to be born the time you were born, to be live where you live, to be here worshiping with us together as a family of God today, preparing for 2024. Open your eyes and see the context of a loving God putting you right here 
for such a time as this in this booming community. Open your eyes to see the larger context, all right? And the circumstances that you may consider issues. I know Pastor Jason and I have this thing, like, it's not an issue, it's an opportunity. It's another opportunity, all right? Some of the things you're going through are simply opportunities to serve, which leads us to serving. Next one. Serve all people in humility, expecting conflict and gospel conversations. If you serve people with unmerited grace, it's going to mess with them, all right? If you serve that coworker who is just horrible to you, it's going to mess with them. If you serve that neighbor who is annoying, who has, who, 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 whatever, whatever they do that makes them annoying, if you serve them, it's going to mess with them, okay? When you give people and you serve them with unmerited grace, it messes with them. Expect a conflict. Some are going to question what you're doing and why you're doing it, which leads us to what? Share. It leads you to an opportunity to share the gospel lovingly, challenging understanding. And the challenging is saying, do you understand? Okay, do you understand what I'm talking about, Jesus? Do you understand some of the words? Sometimes, I don't know about you, I can use two bigger words when I'm trying to talk to people. So I have to say, hey, am I making any sense? Okay. And then you've got to trust God for their compliance. You can't save anybody. All you can do is be faithful to serve, love them, and share the gospel. All right? Here's our application, and I'll close this in prayer. With kingdom eyes, how does that impact your New Year's resolution? Is there a different way you want to see this year? Is there somebody in particular God's placing on your heart that you need to see with kingdom eyes? How, could, how might you serve somebody with unmerited grace that would be so unexpected it would challenge their theology even if they have no faith in God whatsoever, even if they would consider themselves an atheist, it's still a theology, still a belief. How could you serve somebody if you had eyes? And then think about how you would share. New Year's resolutions that are resolute. You can follow your Lord and Savior by seeing serving, and sharing. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus' example of humble servitude, servant leadership, but more than that, Father. He wasn't just serving the physical. He used the physical to teach a, a spiritual theological truth that we could follow. And so, Father, I ask that you go before us and help us to see with kingdom eyes that we might live with kingdom lives. And that it would radically transform not only ourselves, that we'd be blessed by doing this. We would fully know what it is to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. Intellectually, experientially, because we received it, but also fully cognitively because we've done it. Help us to know you. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.